Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob. Joined this week by Dave and the other Rob, the, the smart Rob, stats Rob, Rob Luker, back uh, on the podcast for the first time this season, but obviously a frequent guest in seasons past. Really excited to have him on because the Rangers are having, uh, to put it nicely, an interesting season so far through 23 games. And we're recording this game about, about 24 hours after uh, Monday night's loss to the New Jersey Devils. We're also releasing this episode a day early so that um, we can kind of break our tradition of having this podcast be incredibly out of date by the time it's heard on a Thursday. Um, but anyway, yeah, Rob, let's uh, want to welcome you in first. Uh, how's, how have things been since we've last heard from you? Glad to be back. Dave, Rob, hope everything's going well. Uh, things are good. I moved to the suburbs of Chicago, so I'm officially almost dying. I think that's how it goes. Uh, <laughs> other than that, just uh, extremely ready to calmly and coherently talk about the Rangers. I think that's exactly how we all feel. I mean, we're all slowly dying. It's just a matter of, you know, the speed of that slowness. <laughs> Act accordingly. Indeed. Um, Rob, what struck me about, and, you know, we refer to this a lot, and um, I think the podcast is actually our way of bringing the wider audience and the wider Blue Seat Blogs community into our group chat, but we talk about our group chat uh, a lot. You know, it's basically everybody who has contributed to the blog in in recent months or, or years even. We all are usually talking during games. Uh, there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of hot takes. There's a lot of very reasonable and measured takes. I've said some things in there that I think are quite brilliant. I've said some things in there that are ridiculously stupid. Um, what struck me about last night's conversation, <clears throat> Rob, and I want to start here is, in a shocking, I, I would say, turn of events, you are the one that is maintaining the most positive outlook on the New York Rangers. Now, amidst all of the success last year in terms of wins and losses, and we all acknowledge that it was goaltender driven for at least the first half of the season. But, you know, you were always the one that was, you know, pouring a little bit of cold water on on the, uh, you know, on everybody else. And, and I think that, you know, that's often uh, needed when you're having sports discussion because you get on a five game winning streak in any sport and you're like, hey, we could do this. We can we can win the championship. And oftentimes it's, you know, maybe not the case, but you are maintaining a a very even keel. And I would I would even say a, a more positive outlook than the average Ranger fan right now. So could you explain maybe why that is the case? Because it has been an extremely frustrating and at times maddening uh, season so far for the Rangers. It's, I would say, 10 games ago, I was probably even way more positive than I am now. So we'll, we'll leave with that. However, I still think there's pieces of this team that can patch it together, and I'm sure we'll get into that, to maybe not get to the complete level of where they were in the spring as they made all the way to the conference final, but I still think there's a pretty clear delineation, if you will, of good players and bad. And if the coaching staff finally comes around and stops being so stubborn, it could probably go back in the other direction. And then we're back to talking about can Igor be Igor and can the puck find the net, to be honest, just like it, just like the struggle was in the first 15 games. So that's where I land on it. I mean, I'm, I'm with both you, both of you and everybody else. I, I oscillate. I try. I, I get upset watching those games. 
And, but then it's hard for me to just land on blaming the players and, or just purely luck anymore, just because decisions that have been made with the lineup in the past eight games specifically are starting to influence it in a poor way. So I think a little bit of old me is popping up in the last two years in the last couple of weeks, but overall, I just think there's hope to get back to where they were at the start of the season and maybe turn it around. Yeah. And I mean, you know, lest we forget, Dave, and, and we've now been, uh, you know, we're about eight or nine weeks into the into the, the podcast season, if you will. We did a couple of weeks before the season started. Uh, by the time folks are listening to this, it's either November 30th or December 1st. So we're into the third month of the NHL season, pretty much. Um, not too long ago, Dave, we were talking about how good this team was and how good they could be with a couple of minor tweaks. They were they were putting up uh, shot and chance numbers that were among the best in the league. And we were like, all right, well, the finishing's not quite there. The goaltending's a little bit spottier than usual. But once that stuff corrects, this team is just going to go on a roll. Even before the season started, you pegged them for 110 or 115 standings points and running away with the Metropolitan Division. Obviously, that's not, probably not going to happen this year. Yeah, but, it looks like I misfired on that one. Well, and, and but no I'd rather one, misfire and be optimistic than misfire and be, you know, a pessimistic dick. So agreed. I'll take uh, agreed. That. And and even even uh, even though we all knew the Devils, I think the three of us knew the Devils would be pretty good this year. I don't think any of us could have foreseen 19 and four through 23 games. So but Dave, I, I was saying, you know, not that long ago, we were talking about how good this team was. And I, I have a, a turning point of the season in mind. I'm sure, Rob, you do, too. But Dave, when did this turn for you? When When did things go from? I love the way this team plays and things are going to work out because they're doing the right things. The process is good to now this sort of iffy season could kind of go either way. And it's kind of trending in the wrong direction right now spot that we're in. So I don't know if it's a specific moment, but there was definitely a very slow burn with the lineup decisions post one bad period against Detroit. Mm hmm there's I don't have issues with Jimmy VZ in the top six because his numbers warrant it. Uh, Barkley Goodrow has been a net negative to basically everybody on his line in the top nine, wherever he's been. He's supposed to be a fourth line player. <clears throat> I don't know why he's in the top six. They seem to love that. That's been the, that's been part of the slow burn. The lack of, self-awareness of Gerard Gallant and saying, hey, this team doesn't produce offense. Oh, I have this top 10 pick who basically carried an entire KHL team by himself last year. Yeah, he's a little, he's got some drama, but he wants to play and he's skilled. Maybe I should play him. No, I'm going to sit him for no fucking reason whatsoever. And then they went and blew a three goal lead against Edmonton, which if you're going to point to a specific time, it would be that. They blew that lead, and then with two minutes left against the Devils, down a goal, they, again, put Goodrow out there. It's just they're shooting themselves in the foot, game in and game out. And as optimistic as we can be with the ceiling of this team, they're only going to win right now in spite of their coaching, whereas Gallant should be putting them in a position to win regularly. He's not. Rob, that was you have a, a very long answer. Sorry. No, no, it was good. And and I think actually 
Um, you referenced that that period, second period against Detroit, which which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit. And, you know, I, I kind of had a rant lined up when that initially happened. And then I was like, you know, what, let me pull the reins on that because the team's still playing fine. I don't want to hit the panic button here. And, you know, now maybe it warrants a little bit of a, of a belated rant. But I wanted to ask Rob first, you know, do, do you have a, a moment or a turning point where you kind of went from that positive outlook to eh, I don't know about this now? Well, so, I mean, I've already called out, I'm with everybody on the Detroit game because that was when they reunited the kid line and they just could not get that same spark back together. So that was from a lineup choice. That's the clear mark in the sand for me. And then Goodrow comes up a couple, couple games later and starts getting top six two wide. But to be honest, it's that. Um, and also, <laughs> Rob, you've kind of floated a little theory in our group chat that they're still not getting the quality numbers are OK but they're not getting, it just doesn't seem that way. Right. Yeah. And I would start to agree that the last few, the expected goals for per 60 is way down. Um, their shots are still okay, which means they're hanging with teams from a proxy standpoint of shot share. But what's interesting is I did a little digging before the pod and I've been conflicted in what I'm seeing in their expected goals above replacement, which is uh, one of the models on evolvinghockey.com. And basically this is again, one of the worst, even strength offense teams, they're struggling on defense and the power play is what sticks out. This is actually, when you just look at that particular part of the model, a bottom half power play team since 2007, eight for the Rangers, only the Rangers specifically, not necessarily saying league wide, but okay. when you contrast that with basic expected goal numbers, so it, it, it says they're doing fine. So it's like, they should be getting the chances, but then we all watch the games and it doesn't feel the same. So I'll kind of kick that to you. I mean, do you feel like yeah. that's kind of where it's trending? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a um, a really interesting um, you know uh, sort of way of tying that or, or trying to find some evidence of it in the numbers. But yeah, but just purely from a you know watching the Devils last night, uh, and I was at the game. They just feel incredibly dangerous whenever they have the puck. Now look, it's different when Jack Hughes is on the ice versus when he's off the ice. I think the Rangers did a pretty good job overall when Hughes was off the ice. Um, and they kind of hung with a team that is posting absurd, like, and I'm talking about like 2008 Detroit Red Wing team that had five Hall of Famers on it. They're they're posting those types of numbers. I don't think th- this New Jersey Devils team is that good. Uh, so they're I do not. think there's some no, they're there's not. some regression coming for them. But it, that it's, said, it's quite the pace to keep up at the moment. To your point, it, yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean they're posting something like three and a half expected goals per game at five on five, which is just insane. Nobody ever does that. Um, in a league like the NHL, which is, you know, salary cap parity, all that stuff. Um, but they just look and feel like a much more dangerous team with the puck than the Rangers. And you sure you can talk about individual skill, Jack Hughes. And and I don't want to get into the Hughes versus Kako and Hughes, Hughes versus Lafreniere debate. I think that's you know probably subject for another show, although it probably will come up in the questions. Uh, but you know, look, I mean, Jesper Bratt, nice player. Uh, Yegor Sharangovich always scores against the Rangers. Dawson Mercer, you know, they've got a, a lot of nice, talented young kids. They're fast. They play fast. What I noticed, and, and I'm not a tactician by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a coach. Um, so we might have to defer to our, you know, our friends in, in the chat or our friends on Twitter that might know more about this stuff. But the Devils seem to play a much more direct style that lends to itself to getting more shots closer to the net. They are not dependent on, on a bunch of volume from the point and hoping for kind of like the rebound tip broken play goal like the Carolina Hurricanes are. I think, in my opinion, the Rangers have become that type of team recently. They've become a little bit of a 
dump and chase puck retrieval. And they're fine. Look, they actually retrieve a fair amount of their of their dump ins. They cause a lot of turnovers. That's good. But rather than try to go straight to the net with those turnovers, they get set, set up in that kind of umbrella setup. They pass it around the perimeter a bunch. One of the defensemen takes a shot from the point. If it's Jacob Truba, it's a slap shot. It goes wide. If it's Adam Fox, it's a wrist shot. Maybe it doesn't get through. If it's Keandre Miller, you looked at this data, Dave. It's missing the net a lot. So they are getting a lot of volume in terms of shot attempts. Rob, you just said the numbers bear that out. But it's not that dangerous. And then, of course, conversely, you look at the first goal they scored in the Devils game, a perfectly executed two-on-one rush. Heedled a Panarin, boom, back of the net. Everyone's feeling great at the start of that game. Of course, they blow a two-goal lead, which is the other, uh, you know, sort of uh, eye test or, or, you know, I guess we'll call it like heart test uh, element of this. They're a team that is is scared to have leads right now. Whenever they go up in a game, you can tell that they are absolutely horrified of blowing that lead. And that starts with the goalie who admitted he's not been very good. But it trickles down to the team who cannot pick up the goalie when he does give up an iffy or a bad goal. So, um, no, I mean, that's just what I'm seeing. I, Dave, you know, I don't know if you're watching these games and feeling the same way as I am, but that they seem like they're trying to play that kind of like boring L.A. Kings style of hockey. Or, and, you know, I'm talking about the Kings from the, you know, the Cup Kings. Um who did really take a lot of shots from the point. And that was kind of their bread and butter. They, you know, they ran up the shot clock and it, you know, it look it won them two cups. So is there an argument to say, yeah, that's a, that's a way to win maybe, but I don't think it works for the Rangers. I don't think they're built to win that way either. I also think they're not built league, to win though. that way. What was that, Rob? I just think it's a different league now. I, I, I think the teams that can compete in the track meet style game, sorry, Dave, I, I know you're up, but <laughs> I think the teams that can compete in those track meet style games, I mean, when the pace picked up in the third period last night against the Devils, the Rangers kind of got back to getting some chances. Now they had a mm-hmm. lot of power plays, but they started getting some five on five chances again. Like you said, the first goal was the, was it was the two on one from Hedo to Panarin. I, I think they've lost some of that somehow. Mm-hmm. And while the numbers bear it out that they're getting share and they're in the other zone more, they've lost some of that dangerousness, if you will. And there's just not as many rush chances, it seems. And that's why, unfortunately, I, I don't do any yep. tracking. But that's where tracking data would definitely come in handy. So I feel like they I have more the, that, I actually had a conversation with our favorite Rangers t- troll, CJ Turturro, who is actually, when you get past the trolling, he's very, very knowledgeable about the game. And Corey Schneider, who is probably the smartest person that no. we don't no. interact with as much. Corey Schneider is absolutely amazing. He does all of the tracking. And I asked this question of Corey point blank. I subscribe to his Patreon. Um, and I'm when the date is up, I'm actually going to write a post about this, about the rush chances. And verbatim, teams are a little bit more aware of the Rangers and what they're doing this year. I noticed Columbus and San Jose conceded the zone. So the Rangers would have to forecheck and beat them through the forecheck. You give up a ton of shots but it's not the way the Rangers want to play. This year, the Rangers are averaging 29 shots per 60 on the forecheck compared to 21 last year on the forecheck. So the rush chances aren't, Luke, to what you were saying. It's more shot volume, but less one shot and score, which was an issue last year with the one and done with the second line. So if we're looking at a pendulum, last year was very one and done. And they didn't generate anything sustained. The pendulum is swung in the complete opposite direction, where the Rangers can't get anything off the rush, 
but they're generating a lot of chances in the zone off the forecheck and off the cycle. This team is too skilled to let it swing all the way in that direction and ha- and have success. As great as Panarin and Kreider and Zibanejad are, there they are rush based. And as long as teams are gearing up for the rush and keeping guys back on their um, on their rushes up the ice, the Rangers are going to have problems unless they adjust. And this requires a huge adjustment from Gallant and the forecheck and perhaps getting a little more in the weeds in the offensive zone and the, and their breakouts. I don't know if it's something he's going to do. It's really interesting. Um, but I also think that you can see it, right? I mean, and we've watched a lot of games this year, less so in the last couple of weeks, but you know, they have that ability to get in the zone and keep it there. And look that ultimately you want to be doing that. So I don't think, and I don't think any, any of us are arguing that that it's bad, right? Yeah. Can Can I jump in on that? But I think that's where we come back to the original line combinations that started the year, right? We were more confident and we felt like we were watching a more dangerous Rangers team in that first 14, 15 games because the combos were working. Yes, they were kind of they were most likely getting less rush chances. However, because the combinations because they had really two good top lines going in a third line that was chipping in once in a while. They were able to get some, well, ironically, they weren't getting any five-on-five goals back then. But at least it seemed like they were knocking on the door to get some. And then the changes came. And then eventually some goals started going in. But it was just the style of play got even worse because of the combo. So that's why I think it's a combination. Yes, there needs to be probably an adjustment in maybe how they're attacking, to Dave's point. But also, if they get back to some combinations that can sustain play, for more than a period or two eventually you're going to find uh, hopefully a gray zone there where you're putting in goals and you're also still getting all the chances and keeping the shot share as well which is obviously where you want to be or where contenders usually land yeah and, and you would you would i think ideally look again it's that point about being dangerous right when when lafreniere who who it, it, it's clear his confidence is shot and again we you know we don't need to go too much into into him or into uh, into kako either Right now, uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm sure there will be there, there probably is something in the questions that we'll we'll get to later in the show about them. But when Lafreniere was playing well to start the year, he was confident. He got his shot in the top six with Panarin and Trocheck. Kako was on the first line with Kreider and Zibanejad. It's that concept of being dangerous, right? Whereas you know currently, look, you know Jimmy Vesey, as we know, is 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 he has really nice uh, underlying metrics, but. He's not a highly skilled player. He's not a, a scorer. So while his defensive habits uh, and his and his sort of on point forechecking and sort of high effort play will lead to more zone time in the you know offensive zone time, he's not helping to convert that offensive zone time into quality chances. Whereas a guy like Capocaco in that spot or Alexi Lafreniere in that spot probably has the ability to generate more offense. Now. With Lafreniere specifically, he needs to kind of get his game together before he can get back there. And, you know, I think the other guy that that really is the X factor, and we can maybe dig into the the line combinations that we saw at practice on Tuesday, leading into, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, tonight's game versus the Ottawa Senators. Um, Kravtsov comes back into the lineup. It looks like uh, I think Ryan Carpenter is going to be a scratch. Barkley Goodrow is going to go back to the fourth line, which we all agree is where he belongs. So That's what we need. That's what we need. Yeah. But Luger, Luger, let's start with you. How do how do you feel about those those line combinations that were rolled out at practice today? Should those come to pass on on Wednesday night? I think definitely better. 
Um, good road to the fourth line is probably the best start possible because just frankly, we just need to see less of him. I'm sorry. Hopefully mm-hmm. he gets it going again to an extent because the problem with Goodrow really quickly is the usual. He does not generate much offense and people get confused when I say generate on Twitter. I do not mean score. Yes, he is shooting hot. He's shooting like 16%. He has, I think, one of the high, highest on ice shot percentage, but that stuff ebbs and flows. It's the expected goals. It's the chances. It's the shots go away when he gets on the ice. And then what he's known for, good defensive play, has gone completely completely to the trash this year. He He's getting outshot and outchanced basically 60-40 every time. So he needs to be on the fourth line. Anyway, going back to it, I like the lines today better. Um, I'm with you on VC. Well, I w- I'll hand up, go wrong. I think I tweeted when they signed him that he was just going to be the eventual Kravtsov replacement from when uh, he falls out of favor with the coaches, which has already kind of happened. But <laughs> he's still at least – helping control play a little bit with Kreider and Mika up there. And he's obviously skating well. So not the end of the world. I would like to see Lafferkot go up there, but overall it's going to hinge again on the third line and or both top six lines rolling. So we're kind of getting back to where we were better, but I still think there's room for improvement, but I think maybe the, maybe either Kako or Lafreniere has got to show a little bit more to get up to that top line. Dave, how about you? What are, what are what's your gut reactions to these new line combinations? It's a start. We were not going to get the full-blown shakeup right away. And I like that it's the right start in getting Goodrow off the top nine. Um, I go back to what I said on Twitter regarding the variables. The Rangers obviously have something wrong. And if you change everything all at once and everything is still wrong, then you don't know what the right fix is. So you change one thing at a time. And that one thing is Goodrow down to the fourth line and reinserting Kravtsov into the top nine. I know that's two things, but they're kind of related. Yes. And you get more offense in the top nine. You put Goodrow back where he belongs. And we can go on and on about Goodrow generating offense. That fourth line needs to be a shutdown line, period. That stupid Trocek VZ. What the hell was that line? Trocek VZ. And who and Goodrow as the shutdown yeah, was, was the dumbest idea I've ever seen. That, that was yeah. horrible. That's not a shutdown line. Your shutdown line is Goodrow, some combination of Goodrow, VZ, Carpenter, and Blay. And on Blay doesn't really fit that model, but Drew, you would rather drink a gallon of gasoline than well, you know, admit his loss on Blay there. Though. I mean, we got a shout out. I, yeah, year, yeah. Just because my, my I have Goatee in the top nine. And that's, well, and that's and that's fine. I still doubt his offensive. He generates offense. I don't know if one will ever go in from where he shoots, which is six inches outside the crease. But that's not the point. <laughs> My point is, though, he's a good skater. And yeah, you know what? Things, I wonder if that balances out Goudreau's inability to generate offense. I mean, possibly. I, I think it's a good idea. I, I just like how Gautier stuck, stuck in the lineup because, again, good skater. And that's the difference in the NHL between great skaters and just, you know, below average NHL skaters. <laughs> also, yeah. so the interesting thing is, uh, and I referenced the, 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 first of all, there were the two Detroit games in, in, in three, uh, there, there was a three game stretch there. They played Detroit, then they played somebody else. Then they played Detroit again. Uh, the first Detroit game was the home game that they switched all the lines after a bad second period. And that, that really rubbed me the wrong way because it was an overreaction in my opinion. And I think that that's borne out, frankly. Two nights later or two games later, they, they beat Detroit 8-2 to two in Detroit, right? Everything went in. It was kind yeah, of like yeah. your classic uh, 
baseball team hasn't scored for a week and then they score 15 runs and then all the fans are joking, save some runs for tomorrow. And it was like literally what happened because then the Rangers like couldn't score again for a week uh, after putting eight on Detroit. But in that Detroit game where they played really well, too, I'm not taking any, anything away from them. The fourth line in that game was Blay, Goodrow and Julian Gauthier. And I believe they scored twice in the game as a, as a line. And if I remember correctly, and I can go back in my tweets and find this uh, from that night, that game, I think, was 2-2 after two periods. And Detroit came out hot in the in the third period. And they were really rolling, and the Rangers really couldn't get out of their own end. The fourth line got a shift and completely flipped momentum. And then I think the Rangers got a goal on the next shift out, and then they, they, they you know, hung six on Detroit, and that, that was that. They won 8-2. I love that fourth line. I think that fourth line works. I think you've got... The sort of like, uh, you know, and look, Sammy Blay is is certainly a bit of a punchline right now, but he has a little bit of skill. He has decent hockey sense. He hits, which I think brings value in the right spots. And he gets in on the forecheck, right? So you've got that guy. You've got Goodrow playing a defensively responsible centerman's role, which is it's which is his strong suit in a bottom six, uh, you know, in bottom six time on ice, that type of role. And Gautier brings some offense, brings some spark, brings some surprise, frankly, to that line. Um, something that that you don't expect when you play a team's fourth line to have that type of a burner coming at you. So for whatever reason, that line worked in Detroit. And I would like to see it get at least a few games together now, because that could be your fourth line, you know, for the rest of the year. And then look, yeah, maybe Carpenter comes in or there's an injury or whatever it might be. But, you know, uh, you've got four guys there that 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 are suitable fourth line players. And I think the, they all fit together the right way to form a good modern NHL fourth line. So um, that I'm really happy about. I think that fourth line has a little bit of history and, and it has had some success. So um, and look, I, I guess that leaves what the, the third line now is is Heedle. Oh, no, sorry. It, it is Trocek with Kravtsov and um, Lafreniere. So that's an interesting third line. Give them leaving, sheltered starts. I like that line. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and Trocheck, I, I, I think you go ahead, LeBron. No, I just I, I think Trocheck um, has been a fine all around player for them. You know, I'm not I'm not going to get into the contract or the decision between him and him and Hedl. I think everybody knows where I land on that. But yeah, that's why I, that's why it's just like the idea of possibly moving Kreider down to the third line or something like that. You have one really solid all around player, and then hopefully the two wingers that can go make something happen actually do that. So I, I agree with the logic. That's why I'm not necessarily, I didn't freak out when I saw VZ still up there. I still do think that the next move, if it's still not working is to get VZ off the top line, get him down to the third line because he is playing well and possibly support it from the bottom up there, if you will. Right. Right. And then, and then, and I do think that there's probably an open and either un, unspoken or loudly spoken challenge to Alexi Lafreniere and or Kravtsov, frankly, like, Hey guys, look, Jimmy VZ is a, is a, a veteran on the league minimum. You guys are highly touted draft picks that are supposed to be future cornerstones of this organization. He's in, uh, in that top line spot now. He's not there forever. One of you has a chance to go win that job if you play well uh, with them in the minutes you're given. And I think the other, you know, the other question or concern, I suppose, that always comes up when when the Rangers do shuffle the lines is, well, how's the time on ice going to be distributed? I didn't even look uh, at the Devils game, but I believe that the Hedl line, which is again Panarin, Hedl, and Kako. I think they got second line minutes or they did, or the, they, they did. did. Right. Yeah. So it looks like Gallant has been pretty evenly distributing the five on five ice time. Now he's been 
doing the right thing with the top nine, the clear-cut top nine. You know, the kids have been getting the same even strength time. The issue, not the issue, the discrepancy we're seeing with ice time is almost entirely power play and special teams. Um, mm-hmm. I've been on that whole wagon of get Kako on the penalty kill and shake up the top power play unit because they're a one-trick pony and it's just not working, but that's a conversation for another day. The even strength ice time has been there. For Kako specifically, he's been generating the nice numbers that we want to see from a possession standpoint. He's just not finishing the way that we had hoped. And Connell had gone into this with our, in our group chat. There are a couple of reasons for that, with that stupid little like backhanded little poke in front of him and not handling the puck at the hip pocket. I think... That's something that a little bit more time and confidence he grows out of. But at the very least, he's doing what he needs to do in helping drive offense. So I have no problem with Kako moving up to the first line eventually where he worked with Zibanejad and Kreider. And then they were broken up after one bad period in Detroit. Yep. I would also like to see Kako on the penalty kill just because I think if he got a if he got a little space you could create some offense, but then just to watch him maybe protect the puck. <laughs> yeah, to go full Yager like he likes to, like you can tell when he gets into it, he's rolling. Um, he does that go would be full fun Yager. To watch on like the penalty that. kill situation. <laughs> I like that the full Yager. I like that. Well, let's and I know Dave, you said uh, let let's spend a couple minutes before we get to the questions then on the special teams because Rob, you did bring up those numbers earlier. The power play really isn't working. I know their 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 straight up efficiency or success rate's been okay. It's in the low twenties, I think. But um, let me a two part question: Why isn't it working to your eye, or or or, or is it is there? Do you have some numbers to back it up? I don't know if they're taking shots from bad distances or not getting as many rebounds. You know, I don't I don't know what the deal is there. But uh, what's not working, and and what would you change? What what do you think uh, is a potential remedy for uh, what is now? Kind of the unthinkable, right? An ailing Rangers power play. So I'm going to go first with what I'm seeing. And, Luker, if you could back me up with the numbers to see if it makes sense. Um, power play two, I'm not going to bother with because we don't see enough of them to really see what they do. But the <laughs> top unit is more or less a one-trick pony. And you can survive being a one-trick pony if you move. It's how the Caps survived being a one-trick pony with Ovechkin for so long. They always found different ways to move Ovechkin around and get him open for different from different shot areas, shot types, etc. And they always had somebody else like TJ Oshie who would shoot the puck at the very least to give teams a different look. What the Rangers don't have is that second shooter, even though Panarin shoots at even strength, he's not doing it on the power play. And they're very static. They don't move at all. And when you're static and you're predictable, you're easy to defend, even though you're getting those cross-ice passes and you're getting those shots because of where the defenders are, because of where the goalie is, you're either missing the net or it's getting blocked. And and if the goalie's there, you're hitting them in the chest because they know it's coming. Yep. Yeah. Dave, I'm, I'm on the same page. So one of my favorite ways to see or to think about or to actually to see it's a visual. It's a hockeyviz.com. So if you just go to the Rangers team page, this is all free. It's, it's all public. Um, he Micah has the heat maps. So basically, if more shots are coming from a certain area, um, you know, it's very it's very evident. And then if less shots are coming from another area during the power play, it's evident that that's too as well. There's basically on, on Panarin side. 
no shots come from there. And on Zabanjad's side, it's the heaviest outside of rebound areas. And that and that says it all. It's it's the exact same power play they're running last year, which I'm not saying it's bad. <laughs> Let me I'll make that very clear. It's one of the it's still one of the most fun parts of the game because the way they retain the puck and the way they move that puck around is is impressive, is downright impressive. But to your point, nobody's moving. And the only and the only reason the Ovechkin power play has worked for so long is because they do get so creative with the other four players moving around. The bumper is mm-hmm. effective, or whether it's actually bringing it below the below the goal line and changing the sides of the ice. If you scroll back through on those hockey biz pages specifically and just look at the power plays, go look at the old the previous cup run team, the, the 2014 team, et cetera. Um, excuse me. A bunch of chances were from low. A couple were you, you had a point guy, mostly probably McDonough, just trying to hammer it through. But then also there were a couple where uh, the bumper guy, they, they were really feeding the slot. There's different ways to do it. They found a really good way last year, but they're predictable now. So I don't know if breaking it up is the right move because, like I said, they still retain the puck at a crazy level, but something's got to give. Um, I still do think they're due for a little bit of regression in terms of puck finding the net, but something's got to change. So regression only goes so far as the predictability that we were talking about before. You know, we keep we are very optimistic and we keep saying shooting regression, shooting regression. And hockey is finally loaded for me. That was the delay for me. Um, it'll only work and you'll only get regression if you find ways to change the look and change your luck. Yep. That's fair. Well, that was good. That was really good. Trademark that. Um, <laughs> um, I wish. You, you know what? Um, I think is interesting that that you said it, you you referenced the caps. One of the things about and sure, look, Ovechkin's going to get his 15 to 20 goals a year on the power play from that spot that everyone knows he's going to shoot from. And you know, most fans look at that and say, "How could you not stop it?" Uh, well, you know it's coming. But to your point, both of you, the four players, the other four players are always moving around, and and frankly. The guy who always scores in big spots that annoys the hell out of me when he does it is TJ Oshie on the power play. And he usually is switching between he's either the bumper, but then he'll go net front or or he'll even go half wall. And it's it's constant movement, like you said, Dave, and it's interchanging. Right. Um, Watching a lot of soccer with the World Cup right now, the, the way teams attack in soccer, wingers come inside all the time. The guys who uh, who play midfield will run into the box late to try and to try and get chances, you know, off of like uh, essentially, you know, centering passes from the corners, um, interchanging. And that's what you can do on a power play because you have the puck. You know, it's five on five hockey. It's very difficult to get yourself organized and get into kind of like set plays or set routes because possession is so volatile. It changes hands so often on the power play, especially like you said, Rob, the Rangers are so good at keeping it. They should move around more. And, you know, and. Look, I know that we uh, you referenced Jack Hahn earlier in the year, Dave, uh, and he talked about the the way the Rangers deployed Trocheck in the bumper spot and how he shoots from there, but it's not really to score. But I'll be honest, like he hasn't really shot from there a lot lately. Uh, and and I think that that might be hurting yeah. the power play because early in the year he was shooting from there a lot and it was causing a lot of chaos for the opponent. It has nothing to do with him scoring. Look, if it, if it hits a leg or if he happens to rip the perfect shot and it goes in, great. You get a power play goal from the high slot. But it's more the chaos it creates and it's the defense collapsing on the shooter that then maybe opens up Mika backdoor or or one of those you know off the side of the net Kreider tips that just haven't gone in this year. So there's definitely more to be done on the power play, and I, and I agree with you, Rob, that 
I know people are really, 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 really desperate to see Kako and Lafreniere put up some power play points. They're tired of getting trolled by Devils fans and, you know, and by the rest of the league because, you know, Lafreniere has one power play point and Kako has like five, two power play goals. I, I get it. It sucks. And it, and it sucks that they don't have better counting stats. But that Ranger power play in terms of personnel is still one of the best in the league. And it is very hard if you are a, a credible NHL coach of a team that is supposed to be a contending team, it's very hard to break up that unit and say to any of those five players, like, Hey, you're getting, you know, four to five minutes, uh, or, you know, two to three minutes, uh, less in this, in this game, because I'm going to put Alexi Lafreniere who has one power play point on the power play. You, you, right. It's very difficult to, to, to justify that decision as a coach. I mean, so something argue- else about the power play and I'm probably going to catch a ration of shit for this is, Adam Fox does not put the puck on that. He just it's he's rare, a, it's, it's a blue. It's another one of those blue. It's nowhere near as deep blue as the Panarin area, who Panarin should be shooting. They know Fox isn't shooting. They know Panarin's not shooting. They know it's going to go through Zibanejad and Kreider, and that's it. So they're a one-trick pony. Yeah, that's that's where I land. You know, not that we want to go all volume, but just just throw a few more pucks on net. You know, unfortunately, Mika might have to be a little bit of a dummy there for <laughs> for a couple weeks to 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 break the habit. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I have a hard time. I'm I'm with you, Rob, though as well. I have a hard time pulling that unit apart because just careful what you wish for in that sense. <laughs> right. So I it's I'm probably going to write the Patreon post on this specifically, and I'm trying to find the best way to do this. And I think you move. Trocheck to power play two as the net front. Get Blay off that stupid power play for starters. Or Goodrow. They've both been on the power play, yeah. Yeah, yeah just... get them both off. That's horrible. Get them yeah, both off of it. Move Trocheck off. I would like to see how Kako does as the bumper. The bumper is a very subtle position where you're not expected to make crazy moves with the puck. You're expected to read and react and draw one of the penalty killers out of a passing lane. And I think that's a skill set that Kako would have. It's an idea. And, and yeah, I mean, if there's one guy you could move, it's maybe Trocek. So it's not a bad shout. You're not taking Panarin, Kreider, Zibanejad, or Fox off of the top power play. Let's be real. What if they put Kravtsov in the bumper? <laughs> that would be in the great. Bu- Kravtsov I mean, in the bumper would be interesting. I'm just saying, I don't know. Let's get let's get wild. We we kind of need something to happen here in the standings if if anybody hasn't been paying attention. <laughs> yeah, and it would be very you know, funny if he I like, like that. if he got hot and scored like three power play goals in a week and like you know given the multi year struggles for Kako and Lafreniere. Um, no, listen, I think. We'll see how they adjust it. The other thing about power play, too, frankly, is you got to get Truba off that. And I, I don't think we need to go any yep. deeper than that. But it should be Keandre Miller or Zach Jones when he's in the lineup. So um, Keandre Miller more than Jones. I think Jones is eventually trade bait. And you may as well just give it to Miller, who is the far superior player. Well, yeah, but I mean, Jones is still an offensively you know, minded defenseman who has the ability yes. to you know, see a pass. And I, I think, it, you know, just talking about playing a guy's strengths. And trying to get a, a young player kind of in rhythm uh, on that side of the ice, you know, I, I'd be happy with either, uh, frankly. But that, you know, certainly Jacob Truba should not be getting any more uh, ice time with the man advantage. 
Especially um, not while he's hurt. Just well, let yeah. him sit for a little bit. Yeah, I know. Well, I think they're worried about playing both Hayek and Jones in the same game and not having Troop out there. So. Well, it's not going to be any um, worse than what the hell they're doing now. Speaking of, let's let's get to the questions because we got a bunch and, and uh, they're all really good. So this one comes from this is a good one. The the the, the I don't even want to try and tell you the handle. Looks like it says like riggedy wicked, but there's a three in there. Um, but it says Coco Costanza, so it's a Seinfeld reference, which I know, Luker, you're definitely here for that. I'm listening. Um, so, all right, so the 879 pairing, but especially eight, have been bad. Will they ever break them up? That being said, considering the troubles of the first and third pairings, do the Rangers need to bring in another defenseman before uh, trading for a forward? So this is, you know, obviously the the conversation around Patrick Kane, Timo Meyer, others everyone's been focusing on a top six winger that this team, I, I, I believe desperately needs, but Rob, let's start with you. Uh, do they need to bring in another defenseman or do you think they're good with what they've got? Um, and, you know, here's your chance to talk about the defense pairings. Yeah, I, <laughs> this is probably my most negative topic that I haven't spent any time on. Of course, I think they should break up Miller and Truba, which it sounds like they're going to try. Um, unfortunately, by not breaking up the superstar pair of Lingren and Fox, I still don't think they're going to find balance. But in terms of just the overall defensive depth, it's hard. To, it's, it's really hard to sit here if the forwards get going and say that they don't need somebody else besides Hayek being the seventh D. Um, I feel like there's a waiver option every week that's a better better option than Hayek. I mean, yeah, he had a couple of good games there. And I guess if in theory, if they find the right top nine, they can probably get away with it. But I mean... I don't, you know, Schneider's kind of been as expected, you know, not not amazing, great, clearly defensive impacts to an extent, but doesn't really generate offense, struggles on the breakout a little bit. And then Jones is kind of the opposite when he gets a little space, when he has a little time, um, when he does find a forward combination that can support him in the zone, he can create a little bit. But um, I mean, how many times have we seen him get beat to a rebound already or can't box out or something along those lines. It's it's not pretty. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the train that given if Kravtsov comes in and, and can be a little bit more of what everybody thought he could be, it's hard to not say you got to go get a defenseman first and, or at least they could always just try a waiver claim. They could try mm-hmm. a waiver claim tomorrow and throw Hayek down. And that might be a better 70 to get you to the deadline. And then maybe you could just go for a forward given the limited dollars they will have. Yeah, Dave, where are you on this question? Are you are, are you interested in trading for a defenseman at all? Um, you see, this is where I'm trying to avoid my biases, my previous biases, where I'm not a big fan of Libor Hayek, but he's been serviceable as a 70. You're not going to get somebody who's, you know, maybe you'll get a sleeper guy, you know, but you're not going to find somebody who's got world-beating numbers as your 70. Uh, I think he's fine. I wouldn't trade a huge asset for something. But, uh, again, if you can get, like, a Justin Braun type of a player for a mid-round pick, no problem with that. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. But I do I think the biggest is eliminating the variable that is Kravtsov and figuring out what he is. Because that drives your deadline strategy. And sure. if your deadline strategy is, say, Timo Meyer, I'm sure you could get a package deal for one of their defensemen. I'm pulling up their cap-friendly page now. 
Eric Carlson. Let's see who's on an expiring contract. Uh, oh God, Scott Harrington. No. All right, bad example, but you know what I mean. You can get some kind of package for, let's say, a, a middle six winger and a bottom pair defenseman. Right. And it's not yeah, that I hard mean, look, to pull off. No, no, but the, you know, look, the the cap is what it is. And, and you know, yes, they're going to have upwards of, what is it, $6 million in cap space? Is that is that the number? Now yeah. with the Reeves trade? Okay, so, yeah, you could, in theory, fit two players there, a $5 million player and a $1 million player. Um, so yeah, look, that's definitely a, um, a possibility. I still think that getting one more forward is probably the, probably going to be the way to go. I I think we've seen enough even through the 23 games and kind of the first half of it being good. And the second half of that 23, not being great. I think we've seen enough that this team can get by with the defensemen they have, especially if there is a little bit of growth from Zach Jones or some steadiness from Hayek or, and, you know, Braden Schneider, I think has been fine, especially he's been one of the few players that's been better the last few weeks. I thought he had a really rough start to the season, but he's been better the last few weeks. Um, But look, also all this goes out the window. If Jacob Trouba continues to be as ineffective as he's been and continues to play the huge minutes he's been playing, he's just not been good enough, even though I know, I know his, his and Miller's numbers are, are pretty good, pretty much fine. Um, but they've taken a dip in the last few weeks, and and you know I think uh, they're probably doing the right thing in, in potentially breaking them up. So, um, good question. Can I can I throw something out just to piss both of you off? Yeah, sure. So go on talking about that package deal. Let's be real. We're all under the assumption Patrick Kane is going to be a Ranger at some point. Yeah. Do you do a package deal, Kane? And one of their expiring defensemen, one of Jack Johnson or Jared Tenorti. Oh, God. Dave. <laughs> Fine. <Of course>. I'll, <laughs> Fine. I'll piss some people off with my response, which is this feels like a worse exasperated situation of the Phil Kessel idea from last year. He is not yeah. Patrick Kane that you remember him to be. I know. Might- I, I do not want Patrick Kane. I don't think he's what the Rangers need. I just think it's inevitable. That it's going to happen. I want to be very clear. Yeah. Well, at least, and I think there's at least some possibility that he comes here and he's a little bit rejuvenated because he has been playing now on a on a sinking ship of a Chicago Blackhawks team for three years, four years through COVID. I mean, they've been bad for a long time in Chicago now. Um, He's only got three goals and 16 points this year. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Um, all right. I want to get some, there's a lot more questions, so let's keep moving. Uh, immortal Lou 30 asks, where do we have to be in the standings at the deadline for you to be dead set against being buyers? So this is Lou, uh, not in a good mood, uh, imagining the Rangers being essentially on the cusp of, of being out of playoff contention, let alone cup contention. Um, but let's entertain it because I really don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, I'm maintaining some level of optimism. And I think this podcast has mostly been about optimism. Um, mm-hmm. But but how many points? Right, let's use standing points as a marker. How many points out at the trade deadline, uh, Luker, are you sell, are you selling or, or not doing anything versus buying? I was legitimately going to say my answer is I don't try to look at standing points. I look at points percentage because I'm a sicko because I think it's <laughs> playing field. But because um, my answer would be if they're below 500 points percentage, You'll think they're in the run race, but really they're not, especially with the three-point games. Um, so I think that would equate to something like probably 
seven or eight points would be a long way to go, but it depends on how many games there are. Seven, right. eight, definitely ten. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty quick to say sell it down and figure it out, but maybe I'm maybe that's the pessimism. <laughs> Dave, what do you think? Um, at that same area, seven or eight points. I think this year it's five from the Metro and three from the Atlantic. So basically stay ahead of Florida and Detroit and you're fine. But seven or yeah. eight points out, I I don't know. We'll learn a lot about this team and their run in December because that's a very difficult schedule. Let's just use Detroit as a as a as a benchmark there. If they are anywhere near, if they are even or behind, God forbid, the Detroit Red Wings, absolutely do not buy anything at this trade deadline. I wonder what they to, could sell. Well, that's, mm, there's yeah, there's some things to sell. And that's the beauty of points percentage right now. Detroit Red Wings six nineteen, Rangers five twenty two, but they're only two points in the standings. Yeah. Right. It's not what it seems sometimes. <laughs> yep. It's true. Well, I didn't and realize look- Detroit was that good. Actually, I thought they, I thought they were, they were in rougher shape. No, they have a good team. I just Billy Huso. Yeah. That too. Goaltending. Uh, this one comes from Bill to Spill. One of the one of the greats with another great question. Whose fault is all of this? Wrong answers only. <laughs> Obama. I love that. Well, yeah. Joe Biden. Oh, somebody replied with that one. Damn it. I got to go something different. Yeah, Dave, Bill you got it. Yeah, yeah. Bill James's fault for inventing math. <laughs> That's right. I like that, Luca. That's good, Bill James. <laughs> Kathy Hochul's uh, fault because, you know, she's the governor of New York. It's her fault. Whoever how about Elon, how about Elon Musk for buying and ruining Twitter? Oh, there we go. Yeah, I like but careful. Careful, you're going to get us banned from Twitter for saying that. Yeah, I better we better not post this clip. Yeah, uh, we can't post that clip on Twitter. We'll get, we'll get banned real fast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get uh, well. It's Dave. Dave, so you submitted a question, which I appreciate. Uh, obviously, this is something you wanted to bring up in some way, shape, or form. Have the Rangers hit rock bottom yet, Luker? Since Dave asked the question, I'm not going to have him a- answer his own question first. So you go. You go. Oh, this is. Really a lose lose because if you say yes, you sound like an ass, and then if you know if you say no, I mean that's that's no yes is pessim- yes is optimism. This is yeah. the worst they're gonna get. It's but the I, only way is up I from here. Truly, don't think it, it could get worse. I do think it can get worse. That's the worst part. So, so I think maybe I'll, that's my answer. That's a cop out answer. I know. I know. Had I'll say this. Well, Dave, what do you think? You asked the question, but I'll, why don't you answer it? And then I'll give you my two cents. I think it is rock bottom. I think between that clip of Trupa getting his stick knocked out of his hand, then two straight games where they blew leads and they just gave up. And now everybody's emotions are boiling over. I think it is rock bottom. I was going to say. To your point, I think the Edmonton game was rock bottom. And and I was actually, even though I was upset after the Jersey game, and I was there and, you know, speaking of vibes, look, it was a packed house and, and the game started well, but the vibes in the building were not great. There were a lot of Devils fans. Uh, Ranger fans were absolutely, you know, stunned into silence when they, when they went down four to two. And, you know, uh, the Garden crowd for the last few years has been very optimistic, very supportive, very loud, frankly, for this team. And that was not the case on Monday night. It was pretty quiet. Um, 
you know, th- there was very little that got the crowd going, like even Trocek's goal to make it 4-3. Yeah, you know, you get the usual, everybody stands up and sings the goal song, but it just didn't feel right. It actually kind of felt like one of those elimination playoff games where you know you're going to lose the game and and the team on the ice is is, is putting its best, best foot forward, but you know it's not going to be good enough. It kind of eerily had that kind of feel. Um, all that said, had the Rangers gotten completely completely destroyed last night and i mean like 6-1 and they got like you know 15 shots on goal then i would have been worried that it could actually get worse i think they showed enough pushback and they really did hang with the devils yeah for most of that game and and as we said before the devils have been the best team in the nhl especially in terms of offensive shot generation chance generation all that stuff they've been a, a complete wagon as the kids like to say and the rangers hung with them and and they did not um, there was not a poor showing by the Rangers. It was a little bit of a shaky showing by the goalie. And, and, and you could tell by his postgame interview that he felt as much. Um, they played OK. And I think the Devils were worried that the Rangers were going to tie that game late. So I think the Edmonton game, to your point, Dave, was actually rock bottom, blowing that lead. The, the Truba thing with the stick, no pushback whatsoever. That looked like a team that was that was playing lay down and die hockey in the third period. Um, it, it was yeah. better against it was better against the Devils. So yeah, Rob, can I, and, can I tack on yeah. that? Cause I've been workshopping this thought too. It's, it's kind of like <laughs> reminder. I'm a bills fan for anybody that sits through the retweets on Sundays, but it's like, it's, it's, it's got this football esque feel sometimes with the Rangers so far where their mood is so negative. Nothing seems to be going right. We're not, it's just not the decisions suck. And yet then they go out and they only lose by one and they're still mm-hmm. in the game technically. And they, and they still have chances and they have flurries on the power play where they look like they're going to pop two or three goals in and, and actually flip the lead. And that's what I mean. So if they could just go through it now, make a couple better decisions, yeah, then we're probably past the worst of it. But if they start getting blown out and then the decisions get even worse with the lineup, that's all I mean by it could get worse. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and, and and I think you're right. I mean, there. look, as a Jets fan, I've sat through lots of games now that, you know, and I'm talking about them as a competitive team, not the doormat that they've been for most of the last eight years, but where, you know, you're like, holy shit, they have 100 yards of offense, but they're only down by three points here. Like, the, and, and they need to make one play to win the game or one play to tie the game. The Rangers are kind of in that type of muck and grind hockey season right now, and it does feel like it can flip. They do have the talent to flip it. Um, all right, a couple more here. How up? This is from Skill Beats Grit is the name. The uh, the handle is T Kralix, K-R-E-Y-L-I-X. Cool. Uh how optimistic uh, are you that the Rangers will have a new coach soon? Do we really have to wait another year and a month? So this is someone who clearly wants Gerard Gallant gone. They're not getting a new coach. Not yeah, No, not until next not year. Yeah, at earliest. I, I mean, I don't know. I try to call out what they should do all the time, but I, I, if they fired Gallant, I'd be truly surprised. Related, uh, as we move to the next question quickly, uh, this is from Kevin at Spozo or Spazo211. Uh, I'm not on the fire Gallant train yet, but I can't help but ask, is this why he can't stick with the team for more than a few seasons? You know, we saw it with Columbus, Florida and Vegas. Do his teams just lose their identity or something? Uh, What, you know, so this is a question that I think a lot of fans have, have started to ponder rightfully, you know, Gerard Gallant is famous for having a very short shelf life, even shorter than in some cases, John Tortorella, who is like the ultimate short shelf life coach. Um, yeah, he barely makes it through three seasons at most of his stops. Dave, do you have any thoughts as to why that is? And are we in the, are we seeing that with the Rangers here? I think we're too 
premature on this question. Uh, there is certainly a reason why Gallant was left at the curb twice, basically. But I don't think we're at a point where we're saying, oh, it's happening again. What Gallant is doing is what every other coach does. Every single NHL coach, except for maybe, what, Cooper, Bednar, and give me a third coach here that actually goes against, Tortorella goes against the grain. Can't believe I just said that. (laughs) They all do the same shit. They rely on the veterans. They have short leashes with kids. They move the kids around. Look at what Minnesota just did with Marco Rossi. Look what Seattle just did with Shane Wright. I mean, come on. Like, this isn't just a Rangers thing. So, Dave, I agree, and I'll just add two things. One, if the Rangers come out and shoot anywhere near league average at even strength or with the power play in the first 10 games, we're probably not talking like this. Two, we're not. I'm pretty sure, I, you know, I'm not looking it up, but I'm pretty sure in Gallant's most last stops, the goaltending just fell out from under him, and every coach is going to have to die on the sword for that. So yep. there's not much you can do there. I'm not defending Gallant. Everybody – Everybody follows all of us, but not much you can do there. Yeah, and and look, I think to that point, I mean, even you talk about John Cooper, but John Cooper, he relies on his vets, especially on defense, pretty heavily. I mean, I, you want to turn on the lightning, you will see an awful lot of Zach Bogosian. And you know if that was the Rangers, we'd all be screaming and yelling about that. Um, and that's just one example. Dan Girardi, too, played a ton of minutes in the top four when he was when after the Rangers traded him over there. So Cooper is not absolved by any means. Bednar, Bednar is playing Jack Johnson in the Stanley Cup Finals last year. I know they had injuries. Um, this is the way the NHL operates. It is a very, it is very much a meritocracy, and it's a thing where seniority matters, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, Gallant, I think when he left his previous two stops, it was it was often over disagreements with management. Also, I think Florida had gone through some ownership changes, so their whole front office situation was out of whack. Um, uh, you know, I, look, I. I don't know what his relationship with Chris Drury is like, but um, they seem to be on the same page. I, I you know, um, I, I don't I don't know. I, I mean, I don't have any I don't think we, any, we have any evidence to the contrary. Um, there's been no rumblings of anything happening behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, look, I, I also think Gallant is, is a pretty good hockey coach. I think he's in the in the top half of the league in terms of. He understands the the modern game. Um, you know, his teams generally generate offense pretty well. Vegas had some pretty great underlying metrics when he was the coach there. Florida was turning it around, you know, when he was kicked to the curb there. Um, the Columbus, He coached Columbus when they were an expansion team. Um, he was a guy that uh, when the Rangers fired David Quinn, a, a lot of people said, hey, go get Gerard Gallant. He's available. He's a really good coach. His teams put up, you know, good numbers and they and they win a lot of games. Uh, so I think he knows what he's doing largely. Um, I think he's prone to the same stubbornness and and kind of, you know, retrograde thinking that most NHL coaches are. Um, I don't think he's getting fired anytime soon. And I think if he is fired, as you said, Rob, it will be more of a man. They just it's not even happening till next year. I, I think you you would have to have an awful that would lot. Have to, of, uh, that would have to come down from the big stogie, as Fitz called uh, Glenn Seda the other day. That's true. Yeah. Well, and and that is the X factor here. But in, in which case, it would not be anything that Gallant himself has done. So, um, you know, I think we are about a year away from having a fire the coach uh, conversation, though. All right. We've got one more question. Becky, who could not be on tonight's show due to some uh, work engagements. 
did submit a question and we are going off of the uh, we're going off of the hockey rink for this one. What is the best kind of pie and why? So a little bit of a post Thanksgiving vibe here. Um, Luke, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, by the way. Are you a pie guy and what's your favorite kind of pie? I did. Made it back to the homeland, upstate New York. So we like that. Um, <laughs> another cop out answer. I uh, I don't do a lot of pies. No I pie. Don't, what not, the... don't love the texture. I'll do a, I'll do a half moon all day. I'll do cake. Uh, just not a, not, not big on the pies. I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Did you just call it a half moon and not a black and white cookie? Yes, I did. <laughs> we all OK, first off, started. you just insulted me twice in a 30 second span, Luker. Well, you don't eat pie. Context. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you don't eat pie. You called it a half moon. It is a black and white cookie. And it is proof that all of us in this world can get along because if black and white cookies exist and, you know, it solves all of our world problems right there on one cookie. There you go. To point. be fair, if you buy them in the supermarket, they do say half moon cookies on them. But I call them black and whites as well. Dave. Uh, They're know, black and white cookies. The supermarkets are wrong. It's a gift, not a gif, too. In the spring, we can get into tomato pie and salt potatoes, too. We'll just do the upstate cuisine the episode. What is a tomato pie? No, never oh heard of that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> don't want that. What is, I don't want is it. Is that just I know pizza that. from Chicago? Is that all just, it is? No, 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 no. Let's, let's not get crazy here. Gave, everything, gave everybody something to Google, then. Go, go right ahead. <laughs> I'm not Googling that. I don't like the last <laughs> oh, time I was told to Google something food-related. It was that's blue waffles. Pie, tomato pie. I didn't even think about that. There you go. Tomato pie. I was going to say, pie. you could say pizza. <laughs> Yeah, and Luger, I'm not Googling it. Last time I had to Google a food thing, it was blue waffles, and Google has since, has since fixed that issue, and I'm uh, not going back and Googling something new. Fair enough. Nope. I'll put a link in the chat. Uh, Dave, Fine. what's your pie? Blueberry crumble, without any doubt in my mind. Oh, my God. I can wow. eat that with a fork and just sit there, just eat that the entire thing in one sitting. Wow, blueberry And if crumble, you happen that's... to get one with a blueberry peach crumble, where you not just where you have like halves of it, where you like have it all mixed together. Oh my God, from Briarmere too. <laughs> I have been there. That is a, uh, a a a an Eastern Long Island Suffolk County uh, institution, Briarmere. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that's the way to go. Uh, so I do really like uh, pecan pie. I think it's really good, and I will, good I will, choice. I will go, uh, I will, I will represent uh, my wife. I'll represent Becky right here. Her favorite's key lime pie, so that's more of a classic dessert. Not really a. You can have it on Thanksgiving. There's no rule against it, but you know, normally people think apple, pecan, blueberry crumble, etc. Some sort of, um, you know, uh, some sort of more harvesty type fruit. Key lime pie, a little more tropical, but uh, we do have a local bakery or a local baker, actually, kind of an independent baker in Hoboken that makes a one hell of a key lime pie, which we did get around the holiday. So, um, nice. yeah, very good stuff. Um, all right, guys, Rob, really great having you on the show this week. Any final thoughts that you want to send the uh, fans off on uh, as we get ready for a home and home with the Ottawa Senators Wednesday night in Ottawa, Friday night at Madison Square Garden, and then the aforementioned Chicago Blackhawks coming on Saturday that's the rest of the week ahead. Three very winnable games. Any final thoughts? I think I just want the Rangers to start making me feel either firmly positive or firmly negative. I'm, <laughs> I'm sick of be I'm sick of being that. Uh, what's that, that that Twitter interview or the the soccer coach? Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. That, that's how I feel <laughs> all day reading the news or, or reading the news, reading the Rangers news or watching the highlights and watching the games. 
Dave, how about you? Any final thoughts? They better win all three of these fucking games. Also true. Succinct. <laughs> Three teams they should absolutely be. I mean, I think five points out of six is a minimum here. You know, you whatever. If you get to overtime and drop one in in OT or shootout against Ottawa or Chicago, fine. But you you got to get a couple of solid wins here to 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 close out this week. Wash the taste I of the disagree. devil's game out of your mouth. You need all three wins. Right. They have left too many points on the table already. They. I'm counting eight points from four games that they've left on the table that they really they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory and they need to make them up. Well, I mean, Dave, it's a good point. And either way, you know, the, the way you correct a start like this is you do get hot and you go on a five, six, seven game you know, winning streak. It doesn't need to be 15 or whatever, like whatever the hell the Devils went on. But, you know, it's it's you've got to you've got to go on a streak. And also some kind of winning streak will snap this team out of its funk. And then I think you'll see some more consistent hockey. Um, and look, maybe the more challenging schedule later in December helps because it kind of raises their antenna, raises their level of play a little bit. I thought they brought it pretty well against the Devils, all things considered. Hopefully that carries over into these games against Ottawa. Um, again, Rob Luker, thanks for joining the show. Uh, Dave, always a pleasure. And we'll talk to everybody next week.